The Ambitious Mum Podcast. Different women, different lives, different ambitions. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and every week I'll be having honest conversations about ambition. If I'm not there, am I still giving my child a good enough life? Motherhood. Parenting used to be so much more logistical. Where are the kids? Are they eating? They go to school. They need to be safe. And now parenting is so emotional. And everything in between. We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent. And I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices, and the sheer grit and perseverance working mums don't talk about. So not everything that happened to us is happening or will happen to our children. So much is really about us. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ambitious Mum podcast. This is the last episode in series two. I'm going to be having a bit of a break over Christmas and then I guess we'll be back probably mid to end of January. Um, I'm not quite sure dates yet, but um, yeah, it's not going to be a huge break. So yes, this episode is the last one for a few weeks and um, it ends with a wonderful guest. And I wanted to just give you a quick intro about her. Her name is Dr. Siggy Cohen. She's based in California. And when I spoke to her, it was very sunny and I was very jealous. I could see how warm it was there. And she is a um, child and family specialist, a therapist. Um, She calls herself a parent expert as well. She has a PhD in exceptionalities. And I was really, really looking forward to speaking to her because I've been following her on social media for a while. And her advice um, that she gives online is really, really helpful And I just, I know we don't really talk about sort of parenting and kids and stuff on this podcast. And the conversation that we have isn't necessarily about um, our children's behaviour. But I wanted to go in from the aspect of being a busy parent, being, um, wanting to be a fulfilled parent while, you know, you know, looking after our kids and, and doing the best that we can for them. So we really do talk about the aspect of, um, parenting alongside our busy lives and what we talk about is is actually really fascinating and one of the things that I um, really sort of honed in on is that she mentioned that perhaps this generation of parents are overly emotional we're perhaps too connected to our um, emotions and noticing signs in our children to the point where we're potentially over obsessing about it And she recommends that we perhaps need to stop the helicoptering and go back to sort of slightly tougher measures to build the resilience in our children. And I can kind of understand what she's saying. We've got to this point where we are hovering um, too much. We're trying to control too much. And maybe there needs to be some form of happy medium. So we talk about um, having empathy for ourselves, um, patience, recognising that, you know, parenting especially this year has been particularly tough so I really hope that you find this podcast um, episode helpful as ever I would love to hear from you Um, drop me a message on Instagram and um, you know Facebook wherever you want to find me send me an email and yeah let me know so this is this week's podcast episode with Dr Siggy Cohen so welcome, Dr. Siggy Cohen. We've got you um, coming in from California, which is amazing. As I mentioned before, I said I'm sat in very cold, wet, rainy Manchester in England. 
and I think you are enjoying the sunshine in California. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Dr. Siggy is a parent expert. She's a child and family specialist and therapist. You've got a PhD in exceptionalities, which sounds fascinating. And you're also a mum. You've got three, is that three kids? Am I right? Three boys, yes. Okay. And um, you're originally from Israel. And how long have you lived in the States for? Almost 40 years. Oh, wow. So you've done all your parenting in America? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, my um, kids were we... born and raised here. Okay. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to um, invite you onto the podcast is because I'd been watching on social media. You've got fantastic resources. And I was really drawn in by the videos and I guess all the different things that you were trying to um, tell parents and give people very simple steps, practical tips to help parenting which I mean I've never parented any other time apart from this generation but I feel it's like a hard time yes. um, I feel like we you know we're really in the thick of it as this generation with all the social media and the tech and even though it's making our lives easier in the short run I do feel it is making our lives quite difficult with all the anxieties and all the things that um, you know this this generation brings do you see that? Do you see the difference, you know, from working, you know, over the decades, the different difficulties the parents are facing? Yes, absolutely. And I think it has a lot to do with something good that is happening. We are using so much more emotional language and are so much more aware and in tune with our emotions. But parenting used to be so much more logistical. Where are the kids? Are they eating? They go to school. They need to be safe. And now parenting is so emotional. Mm. And I think we need to find, we need to go back to some kind of a balance. It cannot all be emotional all day long. Our children are emotional, but we are so emotional as well. We have to learn to cope and manage with these emotions to bring us to some form of balance and equilibrium. So we're not tipped in one direction so much. So I think that a lot of the work that I do is helping parents recognize the emotions, but not always um, use just their emotions to parent. That's really interesting. So would you say it's like building resilience on both sides? Absolutely. I think it is. It's like muscles that we have to work and strengthen. So we're all a little bit more adaptable and resilient and using our coping skills to manage. So would you say that the, you know, how you think we are very in touch with our emotions and that is a good thing because, you know, maybe um, your generation when you were growing up or my parents, it would be very much like don't talk about problems and, you know, mental health would go undiagnosed and there'd be, you know, lots of issues with that, with marriages and people would talk about things. Do you then see the flip side of it that maybe we're overly um, aware and we may be kind of, you know, they use this kind of terminology of like helicoptering or, or you know, hovering over our kids too much because we're almost worrying too much about their emotional yes. health. Yes, I think it's beyond hovering. I think we've moved even from hovering to invasion. We are like inside our children emotions constantly trying to manage their emotions for them 
as opposed to reflecting their emotions for them so they learn to manage them on their own. So I, yes, I agree the pendulum has swung from not talking about anything, get over it, uh, we don't talk about that kind of stuff, to let's talk about everything and all the time. And I think we need to come back to some form of, again, balance is really the best way to, um, to deal with life. So with, I think, anxiety, whether or not it's because we're more aware of it, is definitely more prevalent, um, you know, in my generation parenting you know we we are in touch with and especially you know I see with with my work you know a, a lot of people are coming to me um, and telling me that they're they're very anxious overwhelmed um you know they can't face you know can't take the pressure of life and I get I think there's so many different aspects and layers to that but I think from sort of very baseline level is that as women we're working more so you know 30 years ago mums would stay at home and there would be less pressure and then to have to deal with lots of other layers of life there's more divorce there's more single parents I mean are we projecting our anxieties onto our children is that is that the case or is it where's it coming from or is it is it just cyclic and it'll evolve again who I'm interested yes um, of course, we are projecting some of our anxieties onto them. And so a lot of things that we see about them trigger mm. bigger emotions in us, bigger fears and worries, right? If our child is not eating right now, it means to us, I don't know, eating disorder somewhere in the future. They're failing a grade right now. They're not going to make it to college and wouldn't have a good job and they'll be bummed. I mean, we rush a little too much to maximize and exaggerate a lot of what is happening right now. And I don't mean that we need to dismiss what is happening right now, but we have to deal with right now, right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what you're talking about, that projection of our own anxiety, that we are in a lot of worry that have to do with now and then and, and even further. So it's way too much to deal with all at the same time. I think, you know, listening to that and you know, taking this, the podcasting hat off and just going into kind of like being a mum. And I was telling you before, I've got four kids, my eldest is 15, I've got a nearly 13 year old, nine and nearly six year old. So they're all in different stages and they're all doing different things. I've sort of, one's already hit puberty, one's going into puberty one's teetering on the edge and then I've got like a, a little baby you know still my baby um, yeah. and I worry and I, I everything you just said then is it's interesting because my 15 year old I remember now being 15 so I didn't remember being six I kind of have like you know I don't really remember being nine ish but 15 I remember and I remember all the scary things that potentially could happen that never happened to me but now that he's 15 all I do is worry that, you know, he can't go out, he can't be with his friends, they might be drinking, taking drugs, something might happen. And I have to take a hold of those anxieties because I can see that how that takes over. And I can see that if I'm not careful, I'm going to either drive him away or he's going to not want to tell me stuff. And so we have to make a conscious effort to not get carried away 
and to remember that you know we these things happen and it's normal so just going back to that question what practical advice would you give to parents who I guess are being triggered by their own childhood and are seeing their children now in those stages of childhood, teenagerhood, adulthood, and it's bringing up those anxieties. How do we navigate that as parents? We have to be aware how um, our own anxieties, like you say, trigger us. And we have to set a boundary between our anxieties and really our children's lives. So not everything that happened to us is happening or will happen to our children. Not everything that we feel or we've experienced is about our children. So much is really about us. So it's almost like we have to pay so much more attention to how we are and how we're feeling and thinking and almost um, set sort of like a boundary where I end and then my child begins. We're not one entity. We're not constantly merged into this one life. And this is where, especially with teenagers, you tend to feel how they are rejecting their parents when parents are, you know, I don't want to use the word overbearing, but sort of like they feel like I know what's happening. I know it all. I've been through it. I can tell you how life is. No, that's not going to happen. Yes, this will happen. No, you cannot do this and so on and so forth. And children, you know, teenagers are like, no, I know better. And my life is going to be different and so on and so forth. So it's almost like we have to treat it as parallel lanes. I have my life and I can absolutely share my wisdom, my advice with you. But I can't force it on you, especially if you're not coming to me to ask me for any advice especially if you are not necessarily having the same experience because your life is truly different. Um, you know, when I say things like when I was a kid, oh, that turns children off right away, right? And when children say, oh, you don't understand, your life was different, you don't know what it's like right now, it turns parents off. So what we need is to be open-minded. I know some, you know some. And that is even with young children. So awareness, mindfulness is key here of what is mine and what is my child's and how they're not constantly merged into one. Wow, yeah, I really, really resonate with that. And I think it takes a lot of inner strength, doesn't it? To, to hold back from always wanting to give your opinion. And um, it, it, it does because you, you kind of, want to protect your children and and we think we're doing the right thing by telling them you know what to do and to and you think it's the you know but you have to let them make the mistakes and live their lives and do the things that we did and and hopefully you know the values and the foundations that you've put in are going to stand them in good stead but um it, i don't think it takes the fear away from you know all the things that they could potentially get up to or, or have to deal with Going back to parents and the parenting side and the fact that we are as busy as ever and, you know, through what's happened with COVID and, but, you know, in England, we are, the kids are back at school, people are back working. It's not everyone's working from home anymore. Some form of normality is starting to kind of kick in a little bit. Hmm. 
How do we, as busy parents, raise children that, you know, we are giving them the time, but we're also giving ourselves the patience and the empathy to know that we don't have to be overcompensating for the fact that we are super busy. I feel like it's a bit of a, a duality that I definitely feel that the guilt is there, even though I've created and carved a career that I now want, even though I stayed at home for a good few years, I do feel guilty if I'm working in the evening or I'm not around after school for a couple of hours. How do we compensate for this? Yes, um, that guilt is definitely um, something so common and constant for so many parents. So I sometimes think of it like that. Let's, uh, let's look at quality over quantities, one. So I have to pause and think about the quality of what it is I'm giving my children rather than the quality. It's, um, it's not how much time I spend with them. It's what is it that resonates in the time that we do spend together? What do we both, all of us as family, uh, walk away with a good feeling, a sense of completion, um, some sense of resolution that we work through something. And it's not because we spend 24 seven together because we all know, especially during pandemic, I mean, we did spend 24 seven together. A lot of kids were just in their rooms. It doesn't mean that we were always together constantly. And it, in some ways it did feel good to, to have that quantity. But on the other hand, like you say, that's not normalcy. So we are hopefully going to be past this pandemic, coming back to normalcy where um, our children are busy with their lives and we, it's okay for us to be busy with our lives. And then we come together for quality time. And maybe over time, there is some quantity as well. So how can we look at what we actually give our children as opposed to what we take away. So if I'm not there, am I still giving my child a good enough life? Am I still providing my child? And that doesn't mean that I'm just providing them with the best, you know, I can buy um, the amenities and I can buy the, the nice house and food and so on and so forth. But I'm also giving, I'm also modeling balance. I'm modeling um, multitasking. I'm modeling managing. Uh, different heads um, that I can have for myself as a person, different identities. I am modeling strength. I am modeling adaptability. So all these are also things that I'm giving my child rather than take away. You know, I sometimes, I mean, a lot of the mother's guilt that I, I run into that has nothing to do with working moms even is, you know, when my child is crying at night and should I pick him up and take it to my bed or give in or let them cry and, or when they want that second piece of candy or, um, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to get out of me that I feel, you know, some mothers feel guilty for having a second child, you know, that first one is now not going to have anything or what, he or she had before. So I look at, it's true that some things are taken from us, but what is actually given back? So what am I giving my child when I actually help them sleep through the night? Maybe I feel a little guilty that they're crying and struggling, but 
I'm giving them a good night's sleep. Oh, and that's amazing. That's a wonderful thing that I'm actually doing as a parent. When I have that second or third child, what am I then? Yes, it's true. They're not having the same kind of attention, but I'm giving them the ability to experience siblinghood, to be able to rely on others within their family to see what it's like to learn through challenges and uh, intimacy and relationships and so on. So even when I'm working, what am I giving my child rather than what am I taking, which is me, my time and um, my attention? I think that's really powerful because we do need to reframe this, don't we? And you know, we can spend our whole time being wrapped with guilt and thinking of all the negative things that we're, we're doing and we're messing up our kids. But and I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning is that we are overly emotional and maybe we sort of overanalyze things too much. And I just wonder why, I know, I know this is quite a sort of nuanced question, but you know, over the past 50, 60 years ago, um, people were having big families, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have sort of six, five or six kids in a, in a family. Sure. Why is it now that as our families are getting smaller, we are needing more help and support and, you know, people like yourself who are, you know, incredible experts and specialists, is it because we are so overly sensitive to messing up our kids I mean, <laughs> I mean I look back at some of the things my parents did and said and I, I'm sort of like haunted <laughs> I'm never going to be that parent even though I love them both dearly and they were brilliant parents but I, I do make um, concerted efforts to not do certain things that my parents did and I know a lot of my friends say that but I believe that our kids are going to say that about us and they go I can't believe mum and dad let us do this or I can't believe mum and dad behave like that and they'll have things that they won't ever do so what what do you see from now from then you know 50 60 years ago to, to now that we need all this help yes so one of the things that evolved in the last 30, 40 years is the goal of being happy. It's the focus on being happy. And happiness has become this buzzword of we, we must be happy. We have to be happy. And now parenting is taking that over and it became the goal to make sure that our children are happy. All I want is for my child to be happy. How often do we hear that? How often we even say that? I just want them to be happy we have to reframe that. We so have to revisit that because the focus on them being happy means that anytime they're actually feeling any other emotion, something's wrong with that. And nothing is wrong with feeling all the other emotions. Nothing is wrong with not being able to actually be happy all the time. One, because it's not attainable. This is not an actual goal. I want my child to be happy is me thinking that it's possible and therefore I'm supposed to somewhat work towards that so they can obtain or reach that. But happiness is personal and subjective. Happiness is another emotion like all other emotions that comes and goes. Happiness is something I create because of so many 
uh, components that have to do with me and of course with what I learn over time experiences but also I have to realize that if something sad is happening I'm not supposed to be happy and if something disappointing is happening I'm not supposed to be happy and if something angers me or triggers me in it you know triggers even guilt or remorse or and doubt and so on and so forth I'm actually supposed to notice these emotions maybe not again you know going back to guilt I don't want to feel one emotion all the time guilty I'm not supposed to feel one emotion all the time as a child happy so back you know circling to how you started this it's the goal of our children being happy makes parents feel as if they're supposed to create this perfection mm. for their children where they're never disappointed, they, they're never angered, they're never scared, uh, they're never sad, don't be sad, or there's nothing to be afraid of. They don't know how to be bored because if they're bored, they've always got some form of technology to go on to. So you're right, it is, it's like trying to hide all these negative emotions away, like protect them from negative emotions where inevitably they're going to feel them as they get older. Right. So why not let them kind of have an introduction to them as they, you know, as they grow up? I think that's it's so profound, actually. And the, you know, the happiness thing, it's just another pressure as a parent. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely. It's a pressure. It's an impossible goal. You know, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with being happy and wanting to be happy. But the goal of I want my child to be happy at all times is, is actually not right. Um, and so I want to shift my, my focus from that. I'm actually supposed to help my child recognize all the other emotions and maybe work through them, but not eliminate them. See, there's a big difference between not wanting my child to feel frustration and helping my child work through frustration, finding um, skills that help them solve problems, that help them cope and manage through frustration. So it's not, oh, don't be frustrated. It's like, oh, I see you're frustrated. Okay, what do we do now? What do we do when we're frustrated? What can we do? What are some of the ways to work through frustration? It doesn't feel good. I absolutely agree and understand. But then we sometimes are frustrated. And it's not necessarily bad. That comes back to quality as opposed to quantity. It's, you know, some frustration is actually important. Some anxiety is actually important too. We want to look at that and say, it's not all bad. Anxiety, even boredom. A lot of these components, emotions, are part of determination, motivation, um, initiative. These are all actually very important things to have. So I don't want to turn off my child's anxiety completely or even my child's frustration completely. I want to help them see the benefit in having these kind of sort of like forces that feel like they work against you, but you work with them much like, you know, um, I don't know, weightlifting or, or, you know, hiking. I mean, you're working your muscles, but it's for a good reason. Yes, it's painful. But at the end of that, the results are positive. 
we want these kids to be resilient and listen what we've just gone through um i hope the way i look at it and you know obviously at the beginning of the the pandemic i think all parents from you know all different ages of kids whatever they were going through we were terrified for their well-being we were terrified that you know that all sorts of things were going to happen to them mentally and on the whole you know there has been a, a huge amount of resilience and, and my kids definitely surprised me um, what they adapted to and how they managed uh, you know all the all the things I thought they would you know be you know terrified about or anxious about or sad about they kind of just got on with it which for me was a real blessing because now I could see that their resilience muscles were being triggered and I hope that from you know after Covid they they will continue and they'll be able to look back and say okay we were you know, locked down in our house for six months, pretty much without seeing anyone and being homeschooled on, on cameras. If we can do that, we can, you know, we can deal with quite a lot of, it, lot of other stuff. Absolutely. Um, and as parents, we have to learn a lot from that and, and probably step away from the micromanaging of our kids and, and let them be a little bit. And you're right, we are so quick to kind of quash any negative feelings and as you were talking I was thinking of lots of different situations where I've tried to sort it for my child I've tried to um, make it better you know definitely sort of social stuff when they've had arguments with friends or you know they felt left out they've not been invited to a party whatever that is and I remember those feelings and I remember feeling bad about it and, and felt excluded and lonely and whatever those feelings are but it's important that they feel them. And it was also important that they experience it. So they're kind to other people, I think. So they recognize those feelings in themselves and then they think, okay, I didn't like the way I felt when I got excluded. So I'm not gonna do that to someone else, maybe. I mean, would you say that's right? Sure, absolutely. Because it also, you know, when you're talking about the resilience that you've seen in your own children through this, so much has to do with the realization that it's not all about me. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to how we're so focused on each and every child as if everything is about them. And this pandemic actually gave us all some breathing room when it came to that sort of like, oh, it's not all about me. And that creates resilience. That actually creates strength. And it moves us from this, um, the bubble of how everything is circling around me and my life to realizing that there are other people in my circle, other emotions, other situations, other scenarios. And that actually gives such great perspective to us and to our children. So... I agree that micromanaging each and every one of their emotions for the sake of taking it away from them. You know, when you say, I, I remember feeling lonely and left out, absolutely does not feel good. So now I want to make sure my child doesn't feel that. No, mm. I can't actually be sure my child doesn't feel that. The only thing I can be sure of is maybe when my child is feeling this, I'm there to reflect, to witness, to be there with them. You know, you're not taking your child and running them through their own path or even like, you know, picking them up and making sure they're not crossing whatever it is bridge that they have to cross. 
you're holding their hand maybe while they're crossing that bridge or path. Maybe you're cheering and coaching while they're actually doing it, but you're not telling them, oh, oh no, 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 don't, don't feel that, don't go there, don't know. You know, I don't want you to ever feel lonely and left out. It's not something I actually can do. The path is there, the bridge is there. They have to actually cross it. At least I can say, I'm right here. I hear you, I notice you, I know it's hard, but you know what else? I know you can do it. Mm. It's very similar to how I work with my clients and I was talking to you just before about this, uh, of when I work with um, emotional freedom technique and a lot of the, um, I guess the philosophy behind that um, is acceptance and validation. And it's very much about, you know, seeing and hearing and recognizing what they've gone through or going through and then choosing to move forward or to change the perspective or reframe it, um, but not belittling the situation. It's just, this is the way it, ha- it is. We can't change the circumstance, but we can change the way we think about it. And I think it's a very strong um, mindset to teach from a, from a young age. And, you know, I'm 40 and it's only a relatively new concept for me. I. I have to say, you know, I used to wallow in self-pity. I used to hark back at, um, you know, childhood issues of of my parents getting divorced and living in a house where there was a lot of dysfunction. I I used to blame a lot of that on, on, you know, things that was, you know, going wrong, whether it was in my career or in my personal life or whatever that is. And I didn't take ownership of that. And I wish I'd learned from a much earlier age that you know these things made me stronger they made me more resilient they made me you know they gave me empathy you know all the great things that I now realize that my childhood and all the difficulties that, that I went through you know brought me and and which has you know, led, led me to the work that I'm doing now so I think the best gift we can give our kids from you know this generation is is to give them that power that it's okay to recognize and it and and accept what's going on and and to give them the validation to move through it I guess it's almost kind of the way I look at it is is the healing process you have to feel it and then you have to release it to be able to heal but if we teach them to suppress that's where all the the nasty stuff happens um you know all the horrible things that were terrified that that could happen do you see that in your practice as well absolutely so you know, what you're describing is very normal and natural and common. And yes, feeling sorry for ourselves for the pain that we felt. I mean, who doesn't know what that feels like? The thing is that we don't, again, we we don't want to eliminate our pain and we don't want to avoid and deny the fact that maybe we were caused some pain. Absolutely. But you're right that we also want to see the upside of it not just what we lost, but what we gained. So maybe it's not this or that. I either had pain or I'm pain-free. It's this and that. I had pain, it's very true, but I also gained whatever the, the, the muscle mass from it, the emotional right resilience that came with it, the life experience, the ability to see things in um, from many different perspectives as well. So what we're giving our children is not telling them, oh no, don't feel this pain, or this is not painful. Sometimes the pain is there. You actually have to feel it. I can't, could, I can't 
be under the illusion as a parent that my child is not going to feel any kind of pain and I have the power to take all pains away from them. But what I want to do is constantly show them much like something so simple as children say, I'm bored or um, I hate this and so on. And we rush to fix that. No, it's okay to be bored. Like I said earlier, because boredom, but I don't like to be bored. I don't want to be bored. I understand. And I'm not going to say to my child, maybe, you know, out of boredom, other things come out, but I'm going to let them experience that. And suddenly they get up and they go and do something without me actually micromanaging that and saying, you have so much to do and you can do this, you can do that. And they come back after a while and show me what they did. And I'm like, you see, you were bored. It didn't feel good, but out of that boredom, something else came, an idea, an initiative, you know, some creation that you didn't actually know you have in you. So it's this and that. It's not without pain. The pain is there. What are we also gaining? I'm not avoiding or denying the pain, but I'm also realizing something else is bubbling through the pain and um, benefiting me as well. Tell my listeners how they can work with you, where they can find you, what, what can you offer them? Because I'm listening to you now and thinking you have got so much to give, so your amazing wisdom and also your incredible you know, expertise. And I know that now that life is all online, that the fact that you, you know, it doesn't matter that you're based in, in California, there's, you know, I know you've got lots of um, courses on your website. How do parents typically work with you? So obviously when they're not local and even um, the ones that are local right now due to pandemic, Zoom is how I work with a lot of people. Um, I do have still an office that I um, hold on to. It is a big giant playroom that is very inviting for children that opens to a nice backyard. So children come to that environment and feel like um, they're not gonna be put on the spot. They can just kind of roam free. Um, and be nor feel and be normal and natural. Um, but yes, I work with people from all over the world and right now even more. But you know, even before that, it was interesting. We did FaceTime. I mean, Zoom wasn't such a, uh, such a known thing. So, but I did work with people from, um, you know, from other places outside of Los Angeles um, and the United States. So right now, Zoom, they can definitely email me, WhatsApp me, my phone number um, they can find online. Or if they email me, I can definitely give it to them. They can message me on Instagram or Facebook, many ways to reach me. And then we can decide together what it is that they want. They want to meet me once. They want to me meet their children. You know, I even do that. So the kids are in the background. They can be noisy. They can join us. They can go to the room and um, bring something to show me depending on obviously the age I get them involved and interact with them as normal as possible to make them feel um, what, what kind of things do parents come to you with I know you mentioned at the beginning um about sleep training you know you, you know giving them the the gift of, of this good night's sleep do you work from you know what ages and, and you know from what range of different issues do people come to you with Mostly it's from two and on, 
Um, and usually when the family gets a little more complicated, so maybe when there is another child or two um, in the family, as you know, as the family grows, it does make it more complicated. All these different personalities have to somehow um, manage together and it's not always so simple. So I work with uh, usually families with more than one child, but sometimes also just that one child. Issues range from, yes, maybe sleeping, feeding, behaviors, tantrums of young children, school issues, even preschool issues, um, social issues, all the way to crisis, transitions, divorce. I work with a lot of that. Uh, different crises, illnesses, traumas that happen due to um, maybe major changes that are going on. Um, and teenagers, typical issues, and also extreme behaviors. Um, and the idea for me is to somehow help the family recognize what is going on, not just with one child, but with everybody. So everybody pulls together to help maybe one child with a problem, but usually one child with a problem, sort of like a reflection of a lot of other things that are going on. And it does require the entire family to pull together to help each other. So I like to bring them all in, even when I just get to know one aspect of what they're going through or one personality or one child in the family. It's amazing to hear because, you know, it, I've got, like I said, I've got four kids and, you know, I, I am terrified. <laughs> I'm terrified that, you know, I'm giving one more attention. I'm giving one complexes I'm you know I'm trying my hardest but you know I've already had one of my kids saying to me uh, I'm only having two kids and I said why she goes well look at you you're always stressed and <laughs> so I'm like, I thought four kids would be fun and you'd you know you'd, you'll love having you know lots of siblings and and I hope that that is going to be the case um but she clearly sees it as me being frazzled and, and stressed, which to be honest, I'm, I used to be a lot more and, and I've kind of like taken a bit of a, a chill pill about it all. Um, but it's interesting to, to hear that you bring in, you sort of look at all the dynamics of the family, which right. is very interesting. And I don't know. And I think what I've re recognised as I've got older, and this has probably been a, sort of the last five or 10 years, and it may be very naive, you know, beforehand, but I used, you know, there used to be this kind of veil of putting this perfectionism on and no one wanted to admit that there's anything wrong with their kids or their marriage or that parenting was hard. And, you know, everyone wanted to kind of like keep this, maybe it was just in England, you know, people like to kind of keep a bit of a stiff upper lip and not admit failure or weakness. But I really believe that the tides are changing and we're becoming more accustomed to admitting that we are, you know struggling we're admitting that life isn't perfect but you know our, our families aren't perfect our kids our marriages and it makes everything a bit easier it just makes life easier to to drop that perfectionist kind of nonsense and recognize where we need help recognize as experts like yourself out there so we can get the help that we we deserve and we can't do it all and i'm you know one of my biggest things that i tell and and you know speak to my clients about is delegate where you can delegate and don't be the person that you know does it all because no one likes that person <laughs> no one wants to be friends with that person that pretends that you know they do it all and, and everything's fine but also you know we have a responsibility 
as women, as parents, adults, how, you know, whatever, to, to help and support others and to recognize where people are, are suffering and, and, you know, being vulnerable and showing where we have our weaknesses. And I, and I think with the kids as well, I remember, you know, during the pandemic at the beginning, they saw my husband and I, you know, in shock. They saw my husband and I not knowing what to do. They saw me lose it with the homeschooling. And I, I think they've recognized that we're not machines, that despite the fact that they, you know, we, we make sure there's food on the table, thank God, and we make sure that they, they've been taken to all their after-school activities, that we're not the machines that perhaps they perceived we are. And I hope that is a lesson and a gift for them when they become parents, that they don't feel they have to be it all and do it all and be perfect because that is one hell of a pressure and a, a weight to carry around as an adult. Very true. And it can become a very thin layer, right, of what we try to hold together behind it and uh and it's very breakable kind of layers so it's better to um absolutely reach out to realize that everybody has a story every person has a story every family has a story um and sometimes more than just one and these stories are not necessarily a reflection of how bad we are but yes, maybe sometimes how vulnerable we are, but also how resilient we are and how human we all are. We can't avoid running into um, barriers and friction and conflicts and difficulties and challenges. We can't. They're there. So might as well actually reach out and look at each other and go, yep, we are in this together. We all are feeling the difficulties, the challenges, one way or another. We've all been through something. So it's so good to connect on that kind of a level of um, sharing our stories and recognizing that we all have one. Absolutely. And I think now that social media is so common, you know, everyone uses it and they can access you know, resources from yourself that normally, you know, we would, we would never have been able to hear about all the amazing work that you're doing and you're able to give people um, these practical, you know, tips and quick videos that people can, can access. And I'm going to include all your details on the show notes so people can find you and watch you and, and hopefully get in touch with you if they need. But um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and having so much wisdom and insights that I know I'm going to remember for a long time and I hope um, will help my listeners as well. So thank you very much, Dr. Siggy Cohen. And I'll make sure that, because um, people can download, they, you, they have some of your um, courses, don't you, on your website. So if they wanted to have a look at that, they could um, download those, couldn't they? They can stream those, yes. So um, there is a website site that we created especially for COVID in the very beginning and there is some uh, really good information there some of it can be already irrelevant but there is a lot of you know I'm bored I don't want to sibling rivalry so they can definitely look at that and we are coming out with a whole nother website that's going to be streaming much more information uh, hopefully it will be ready in about maybe a couple of months. But meanwhile, they can definitely go to drsiggy.com and see this. They can also uh, connect um, 
um, contact me and connect with me through any social media. So yes, Instagram is there, uh, Facebook. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and I will speak to you very soon. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you. So that is this week's episode done. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'd love to know if some of the insights resonated with you or if there were some takeaways that you're possibly able to apply to your life. I would really love to hear your feedback and perspective on today's conversation as well. Perhaps we talked about a topic that sparks something within you or you have something to offer to the other listeners. Either way, I would love to hear from you. In order to help grow the Ambitious Mum community and allow the podcast to be heard by other people, please do rate, subscribe and share it across your social networks. This will really help with the visibility of a new podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under Coaching by Kate and do use the hashtag The Ambitious Mum Podcast so I can find your comments easily. So please do get in touch if you have any more to say. I'll also provide all links to my guests and my contact details on the Ambitious Mum show notes too. See you next week. Thank you.